Chapter 21. What to do when life changes. Your life isn't static. Who you are isn't static. You're going to make new friends. You're going to drift away from others. Maybe you'll move somewhere new. The size of your family will grow and sometimes shrink. You might change jobs. You might change titles or even careers. Some changes will be exciting. Some will be terrifying. Some will be both. The point is, every one of those life changes is going to change you. And as you change, the way you use these tools will change too. That's not automatically a good or a bad thing. It's just something that happens. Our job is to stay aware of those changes and the impact they're having on our capacity to use the five tools God has given us. Sometimes being aware of a change is all we can really do. And other times, we'll need to be intentional about enacting a course correction. Adapting to the seasons of life. Some of life's events are so big they don't just impact our lives. They fundamentally alter them. These events move us into new seasons of life, a new semi-permanent kind of normal. Graduating from school, starting a trade, starting a desk job, changing careers, starting your own business, getting promoted, getting fired, buying a home, becoming homeless, getting married, getting divorced, having kids, losing your spouse, having grandkids, retiring, incurring a disability or chronic illness, inheriting a windfall, losing everything in a tragedy. Sometimes we make the choice to enter a new season of our lives, and sometimes the choice is made for us. Sometimes the season is one we're excited about, and sometimes it leaves us bewildered and afraid. Solomon wrote, There is a time for everything, and a season for every activity under the heavens, including a time to be born and a time to die, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to search and time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Ecclesiastes 3 verses 1 through 4 and verses 6 through 8 NIV. As you move from season to season in your life, whether of your own volition or through events beyond your control, your ability to use these tools will change. You might end up with less free time. You might end up with more. You might have more responsibilities. You might have more resources at your disposal. You might have more obstacles. You might have fewer. The point is, what you are capable of doing in this season of your life is not always the same as what you are capable of doing in previous seasons. Just as important, what others are capable of doing during this season of their lives is not a benchmark for what you should be capable of doing in this season of your life. A single mother with three young children will not have the same amount of time to dedicate to Bible study that a wealthy retiree has. A young person working two jobs and going to school will have fewer opportunities to fast than someone who doesn't need to work. Fellowship might be harder for someone experiencing an exhausting trial than it is for someone in a season of relative peace. That said, if you're in a season you have control over, a job you chose, a class schedule you picked, a home you're renovating, then it's always worth considering if your own choices are getting in the way of your relationship with God. Maybe there's a way you can free up some extra time for putting the five tools to use. But maybe there isn't. 
and that's okay. In the Old Testament, the Israelites would bring the first fruits of their harvest as an offering to God. See Deuteronomy 18 verse 4. An Israelite with a bigger field and larger flocks would naturally have more first fruits to offer. That didn't make him any better or any worse than the Israelite with less to give. The point was bringing the first fruits. The quantity or quality of those first fruits weren't part of the equation. All were supposed to bring what they had, and whatever they had was enough. When Jesus watched people making offerings at the temple, he saw that many rich people put in large sums, Mark 12:41 ESV. This was good, but not remarkable. What was remarkable was when one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which make a quadrants, verse 42. The quadrants was a copper coin worth roughly one sixty-fourth of a day's wages for an average laborer. One sixty-fourth. From a monetary standpoint, these two coins amounted to virtually nothing. But from a spiritual standpoint, they had tremendous value. Jesus told his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury, for they all put in out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. Mark 12, verses 43 through 44. The rich were able to bring their large sums to the temple and still live comfortably. The widow's offering meant more to God than the impressive amounts brought by others. Why? Because God isn't impressed by quantity. After all, the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. Psalm 24 verse 1. Nothing we give can come close to that. No, he cares more about intention and context and what we're doing with what we have. Do what you can with the season you're in. It's not about what you used to be able to do or what your peers are able to do. It's about what you can do in the phase of life you're in right now. We should always be setting aside time for God, time for prayer, time for study, time for meditation, time for fasting, and time for fellowship. But we won't always have the same amounts of time to give, and we won't always be able to dedicate the same amount of attention and effort. It's great if you have two and a half hours to dedicate to Bible study every day, but maybe you're in a season where you can only spare 10 minutes. It's great if you're able to fast on a fairly regular basis, but maybe you're in a season where you can only find a couple days to fast every year. It's great if you're able to spend extended time in prayer, but maybe you're in a season where your prayers are short, exhausted, and barely coherent. The small handful of first fruits, the widow's two mites. Sometimes a little is a lot. Give God what you can. When we're striving to give God our best, what we give will be enough. Dealing with grief and loss. Although tragedies like the loss of a loved one can move us into a new season of life, the pain of those tragedies can stay with us far longer than a single season. Grief is a powerful emotion, and it's not one that just vanishes over time. Those who have experienced extreme losses will be the first to tell you that it comes in waves. The pain of the loss might start to recede over the course of a day, a week, a month, only to come crashing back at a moment's notice. Suddenly, the pain is as raw and as unbearable as it was the day it happened. Over time, the waves come less and less often, but they can still come 
and the pain they bring can still be overwhelming. Grief is not a problem God intends us to solve. Eventually, those waves will come less frequently. We can find better ways to cope with the pain they bring. But it's important to understand that the pain we carry from our losses isn't some kind of a failure on our end. It's natural. There are two important perspectives to have about grief. The first is that, just as with the seasons of life, it's important to focus on giving God what we can. When grief is assaulting you with wave after wave of excruciating emotional pain, it might be all you can do to get out of bed in the morning. Some mornings, even that might be too much for you. And again, that's okay. We shouldn't be content to never make any progress in our struggles against grief, but experiencing grief isn't a failure. In these moments, we might be the widow with only two mites to offer to God. And in these moments, that's still enough. The other perspective is remembering that very often, these five tools for spiritual growth are going to be exactly what we need to find strength in the face of grief. Prayer, Bible study, meditation, fasting, fellowship. These can be the hardest things to bother with when we're dealing with the pain of a loss, but remember that these are all tools designed to strengthen our connection with God and with our brethren. God, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 4. God, who promises, I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah 41 verse 10. This is the God who wants to connect with us through these five tools he offers us. And while he doesn't immediately remove our grief from us, he gives us the strength to deal with it, the strength to continue moving forward. More than that, he also gives us an incredible future to look forward to. For the Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places. He will make her wilderness like Eden and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in it. Thanksgiving and the voice of melody. Isaiah 51 verse 3. This physical transformation of a barren wasteland to something like the Garden of Eden is accompanied by a change in the people who live there, too. After this, the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness. Sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Verse 11. I, even I, am he who comforts you promises God in verse 12. One day, the pain of grief will be gone forever. Sorrow and sighing will flee away, and we will find joy and gladness in their place. But until then, it's okay to hurt. It's okay to be functioning at less than 100%. When the waves stop, you'll be able to get back up and try again. Until they do, God promises to help you keep your head above the water. Overcoming Obstacles to Growth In terms of spiritual growth, seasons of life and grief are often elements we have little to no control over. They're events we didn't necessarily choose to experience, but that we have to decide how to handle. This last section is about something different. More often than not, it's our choices and our decisions that have the biggest impact on our relationship with God. It's the things we choose to do, or not do, that affect our capacity to connect with Him. 
Jesus told a parable about a sower who went out to sow in Matthew 13 verse 3. He used this parable to explain why some people never seem to connect with the Word of God, or why it never produces any kind of meaningful fruit in their lives. In the parable, the sower sowed seed, picturing the Word of God. See Luke 8 verse 11. The seed fell on four different types of ground, that is, four different kinds of people. Each different kind of person interacted with God's Word in a different way, leaving us with some important lessons to consider. Seed that landed on the wayside, heavily compacted ground intended for foot traffic, never had a chance to grow. It was trampled down and the birds of the air devoured it. Verse 5. Seed that landed on the shallow dirt of stony places started to grow, but when the sun was up it was scorched, and because it had no root it withered away. Mark 4 verse 6. When seed landed among thorns, the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. Verse 7. Only the seed that landed in good soil yielded a crop that sprang up, increased, and produced, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. Verse 8. There's a danger in treating this parable as another aspect of life we have no control over. If we believe we have no control over the type of ground we are, then we have no control over the degree to which God's word becomes rooted in our lives. But that's not how it works. Ask any gardener or farmer. Soil can change. We can change it. In the context of this parable, the decisions we make in our lives can change the kind of environment we're providing for the Word of God to take root and grow. We want to be the good soil. We want to produce something meaningful. But sometimes we make choices that transform us into the wayside, or the stony places, or the thorn-filled ground. When that happens, our job is to fix the problem the same way we created it to make the choices that will ultimately provide a better environment for God's Word to grow in our lives. The Wayside The wayside was never meant for growing crops. The Greek word for wayside, hodos, Strong's number G3598, literally means a road. It was dirt that people walked across over and over again until it was compacted to the point of becoming fixed and unmoving. For the purpose of growing seeds, the wayside may as well have been concrete. When God's word landed on the wayside, there was nowhere for it to go. Feet trampled it and birds devoured it. The end. No growth. No change. Nothing. Jesus explained that the wayside represents those who, when they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. Mark chapter 4 verse 15. The Bible has a lot to say about the danger of a hard heart. It urges us, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works for forty years. Hebrews 3 verses 7 through 9. Even if we don't start out that way, we can gradually begin to harden ourselves against God. Like the Israelites in the wilderness, we can begin to doubt his power, question his intentions, ignore his instructions, and provoke him to wrath. A heart that does this has no room for God's word to grow. A heart that does this will eventually grow hostile against God's word, leaving that word to be trampled and stolen away. When we notice ourselves becoming more like the wayside, we have to break up the compacted ground of our hearts. For all these things my hand has made, and all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one will I look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit, and who trembles at my word.
Isaiah 66, verse 2. Humility comes through perspective. Remembering who we are in relation to who God is. He is the eternal creator. We are the created. He is the potter. We are the clay. He has the words of eternal life. John 6, verse 68. We have a way that seems right, but ends in death. Proverbs 14, verse 12. Breaking up the hardened ground of the wayside requires us to maintain this perspective through regular use of these five tools, always remembering the greatness of the God we serve. The Stony Places In Christ's parable, plants were able to grow in the stony ground, but they couldn't truly take root. When the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Matthew 13, verse 6. And as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. Luke 8, verse 6. Luke 8, verse 6. The rock got in the way. There wasn't enough dirt for the seeds to establish a root system, and so the fledgling plants withered and died at the first sign of difficulty. Barclay noted, This was not ground full of stones. It was a narrow skin of earth over a shelf of limestone rock. Much of Galilee was like that. Barclay noted, This was not ground full of stones. It was a narrow skin of earth over a shelf of limestone rock. Much of Galilee was like that. Jesus said, He who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Matthew 13 verses 20 through 21. God's word is a reason to rejoice. We should receive it with joy, but we should also be honest with ourselves about what it means to live by it. Jesus also told his disciples, In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. John 16.33 We will have tribulation. When we choose to follow God, we will have struggles and trials and difficulties and hardships. If we expect to walk through this life unscathed, then our understanding of Christianity is growing only in a narrow skin of earth. And when tribulation comes, it flies in the face of all our misconceptions about God's way of life. Spiritually, that can leave us as withered as a plant that was never able to put down roots. Breaking through that limestone and replacing it with soil, or else transplanting the plant altogether, requires us to take a close look at what we believe about God's calling. These five tools can help with that leading us to cross-examine our ideas about Christianity with what God says about Christianity. Christianity cannot live in just the surface layer of our life. We have to give it room to go deeper, to put down roots into every aspect of our lives where it can draw strength and nourishment when the sun beats down. With our misconceptions and reservations out of the way, we can face the trials of this life secure in the knowledge that all things work together for good, to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Romans 8.28 We can allow God's word to put down roots in our lives, trusting that no matter what happens in this life, God is leading us where we need to go. The thorns The final enemy of God's word in this parable are the thorns that sprang up with it and choked it. Luke 8 verse 7 Jesus identified the thorns as the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things, which choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Mark 4 verse 19. 
It's not that the word doesn't grow. It does. But the thorns grow too. When the time comes for the word to produce fruit in our lives, well, it doesn't. During the growth process, the thorns were taking the nutrients that should have gone to the seed. It never got enough to actually produce anything. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things are three competitors for our time and attention. These three thorny plants can choke out the effectiveness of God's word in our lives, leaving us with nothing to show for ourselves. The New International Version translates the cares of this world as the worries of this life, verse 19, and in another passage as the anxieties of life, Luke 21, verse 34. We all have responsibilities in this life, and those responsibilities deserve our attention. But when those same responsibilities begin to cause us stress and anxiety to the point where we can no longer focus on spiritual things, then God's word is at risk of being choked out in our lives. Riches, too, are not inherently wrong, but they can be deceitful. Wealth can lull us into a false sense of security. Jesus told another parable about a rich man who told himself, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Luke 12, 19. That same night, the man died. He saw his wealth as a fortress against trouble, forgetting that true protection comes only from God. Jesus warned that one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses, verse 15, emphasizing that we should be more interested in spiritual riches than physical ones. As far as our desiring for other things, it is, again, not wrong to want something. It is wrong to covet something. See Exodus 20, verse 17. We can spend our time and energy so focused on obtaining something, sometimes a literal object, sometimes social status, sometimes an accomplishment, that it begins to consume us. The goal might be fine, but becoming obsessed with achieving the goal is not. This, too, can choke out God's word. When we see these thorns begin to sprout in our lives, we have to be diligent to remove them. The more we let them grow, the more they will steal from the one crop that really matters. Nothing this world has to offer, not its riches, not its achievements, not even its stresses, are worth missing out on the fruit that God's word produces. The good soil. The three types of ground where God's word fails to grow serve to frame the fourth and final type of soil, the good ground, which yielded a crop that sprang up, increased, and produced, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. Mark 4 verse 8. The good ground is defined by everything the other types of ground aren't. The good ground isn't compacted. It's open enough to receive God's word. The good ground isn't rocky. It has room for God's word to put down roots. The good ground isn't filled with other competing plants that can choke God's word. When we come to God with humble hearts, with a willingness to commit to him beyond a superficial level, refusing to allow Satan's distractions to coexist with God's word, the end result is good ground. Fertile soil where God can do great things. Jesus said, these are the ones sown on good ground, those who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit. Verse 20. Matthew's account specifies that Jesus was talking specifically about the word of the kingdom, Matthew 13, verse 19, which we'll take a closer look at in the final chapter of this book. We can't be passive in our connection to God. Being the good ground also means producing fruit. 
The more we make use of these five tools for spiritual growth, the more fruit we will produce in our lives, and the more we will become like our Creator.